little while ago, Debbie and I were in one of our local grocery stores, and we were buying a few things. And as we finished checking out, there was a young lady that was checking us out, a very pleasant young woman. And uh, she finished, we paid, and I said, hey, thank you very much. And she turned to me and she said, well, I'm looking forward to seeing you tomorrow in church, Pastor. And, uh, you know, more than 700 people will go to this church at a given time. So I had no idea who she was. And so it was, that happens once in a while. It was a bit of an embarrassing moment. And once in a while, I have conversations like that with people. And I didn't have one like this with her, but I'll have, it sometimes begins like that with people. And so I'll begin to ask them questions. I didn't with her, but I have with others. I'll, be, I'll say things like this. So uh, which, church do you, which church service do you go to? And I'm specifically referring to the 9 or the 11. And they'll say, well, uh, they get very vague at that point. And so I begin to pick up on that, and so I kind of pleasantly begin to probe a little bit deeper, and I say, so have you uh, connected with anyone at the church whatsoever? Uh, no, not really. What, even one of the pastors? No, haven't done that at all. Have you thought about getting involved in one of our small groups? We have well over 200 adults that are in small groups in our church. Would that be something you've ever been interested in? They go, no, never thought about that whatsoever. Have you ever served in any way, either inside or outside of the church? And they kind of go, well, not really, honestly. And when was the last time you were in church? Well, I think I was there at Christmas time. At points, not very often, and I certainly didn't do that with that young lady, but at points I'll say something like this to them. Maybe it's time for you to stop going to church. Maybe it's time for you to stop going to church. God's highest calling in our life as believers is not to go to a destination and check off some attendance box. God's highest calling in the life of every person who claims to be a follower of Christ is to be conformed radically to the image of Christ, to be planted, Scripture says, in the house of the Lord, to be the church, to be a light shining in the world. And so it could well be that it's time to stop going to church and start being the church. And while I would suggest that's something we really need right now, That's why we did the last series of messages that we did to set the bar high about what's most important in life. And we talked about the eternal destiny of people. And the first message was all about the fact that every single one of us is going to die. And when we die, we will face judgment. And the week after that, we talked about hell. And the week after that, we talked about heaven. And we did that to set up this series of messages. And that last series was to say, the stakes could not be higher. We need to be the church right now and stop going to church. Because I would suggest that now, perhaps more than ever in our lifetime, people are disillusioned, people are depressed, people are desperate, people are deeply, deeply cynical. 
Canada was always known as a very cynical nation. I would suggest the sociologists would say that to us. We are more cynical than ever. Not trusting, especially of people in authority. And so people in our culture need to see legitimate expressions of followers of Jesus who are truly being conformed to the image of Christ. Certainly not perfect, none of us are, but forgiven and transformed by Jesus. And so we used the last series of messages to set up this series of messages. We said the stakes are this high, and now let's look at a series of six one-word virtues, words to live by that people need to see in our life, that they desperately are longing to see. And there are words like loyalty and honor and integrity and gratitude, all virtues supernaturally being lived out through our life. So much so that people look at us in the deeply cynical setting that they're in and say there's something different about that person. They might even use the word weird. I can't believe how honest they are, how much gratitude flows out of their life. There's something unusual. There's something weird about that person, but I'd like to know what it is. And so today, we're going to talk about the idea that it's time to stop going to church and start being planted in the house of the Lord and be the church. Now, where does that language come from? And we're going to focus on one word where that language comes from, and we see it in our text. And so if you have your Bible or your device, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Psalms, which is right in the middle of your Bible. Just open it right in the middle, and you're more than likely in the Psalms right there. Psalm 92, verses 10 through 15. And as I read these verses to you, this is a psalm. uh, The people of God in the Older Testament would meet together for church every week. And as they were meeting together on Sabbath together... This is one of the psalms that they would recite together that would be read to the congregation. And this would be part of their worship experience that they would regularly use. Keep that in mind. And we're going to be looking for this key word in these verses. It says, the psalmist writes, You have exalted my horn, speaking of God. You have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. Fine oils have been poured upon me. My eyes have seen the defeat of my adversaries. My ears have heard the rout of my wicked foes. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming, The Lord is upright. He is my rock. There is no wickedness in him. The one word we want to focus on today is the word flourish. Flourishing. What does the word flourish mean? Because it's not really a word that we typically use in everyday language. At least I don't. Maybe you do. But I don't really. When people come up to me and they say, so how you doing, Scott? I don't go, oh, I'm flourishing. I I don't typically do that. In this text, the word flourishing is this image 
of what happens to us when we're planted in the house of the Lord, specifically planted in the house of the Lord. And the word literally means to thrive, it means growing, it means prospering, it means to be a blessing. And when you're righteous and when you're planted in the house of the Lord, the text says, you will flourish and you will thrive. And the image he uses to paint a picture, a word picture for the people reading this as they did church together was that of two well-known trees in the Middle East. And so I did a little bit of research on these two trees because all of you know that I only work on Sunday mornings, and so I had some time to do this. The word flourish, the psalmist says, is like a palm tree. And they all have palm trees over there. They know about them. In their minds, in the Middle Eastern mind, the palm tree is symbolic of triumph and victory. In the Corinthian Olympic Games, the winner would be presented with a palm branch, and this was their version of getting the gold medal hung around their neck. We all know the story of Jesus, or at least many of us know the story of Jesus, that he goes up to Jerusalem, the text says, and he's riding on a donkey. And the people are confused at first because they think he should be riding on a white stallion because that's what a warrior king, a political warrior king would ride on to come into Jerusalem. That's what they expected Messiah to ride on. But they're a little bit confused, but they're chanting Hosanna. They're acknowledging him and saying, he's going to be our king. He's going to lead us to victory over the Romans. And as they were doing that, even though they were confused about what his real mission was, they're waving palm branches and they're laying palm branches in his path because he expects, they expect him to lead him to triumph and to victory. The psalmist says the person that's planted in the house of the Lord will thrive in this manner. He also compares it to being like the cedars of Lebanon. The cedars of Lebanon uh, exist to this day, and they're all about durability. They typically live for 500 to 1,000 years. They grow in places in Lebanon up to 120 feet or 35 meters in height. They have a circumference of about 30 feet or about 9 meters, the biggest ones around. For every meter that the, that the tree grows upward, its roots go down and out three times as far. The tips of the roots of a cedar of Lebanon are so strong that they can slowly drill right through rock. The trees will often just grow together and intertwine, especially at the root level, but above ground as well, and they become almost like one tree. And so they're strong, they're solid, they're immovable. Not even a Lethbridge wind can blow those trees down. The sap of the cedar of Lebanon is a natural repellent to harmful insects and fungus. Both of these trees are evergreens. And so he picked these trees on purpose because they're symbols of vitality and power and longevity. And he says those that are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish like these two kinds of trees. Now, if we were being really honest, some of us are going to suggest and, and admit, I'm not really spiritually flourishing, Scott. I'm kind of dry, actually. I'm not really thriving emotionally. I'm actually kind of withering. I'm not really connecting relationally. 
I find myself deeply lonely. And I think a lot of people are experiencing that now. I'm not really prospering financially with breathing room to be the kind of blessing I know God wants me to be in others' lives. I go to church, but I'm really not flourishing. Now, I'm a city boy, so I don't know much about this stuff, but I know this. Really, to be planted in the house of the Lord begins with this concept of being a seed. A seed that is not planted is a dormant seed. And that's not unlike going to church simply to check an attendance box. Unproductive, unfruitful, and at your core, dissatisfied with life. And it's my experience, and I've been doing this for a long time, dormant type seeds in the Christian life What typically happens, not always, but typically, is they eventually just drift away. But a seed that is planted, planted in good soil, and gets the things coming into its existence that it needs, Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 13. He says, that kind of seed that's planted and nourished appropriately will grow 30, 60, 100-fold. Being the church, like this passage talks about, is a posture of who we are. It's an identity within us. Even the Greek word translated church has great and significant meaning. It's the Greek word ecclesia. And it really has two aspects to the word. The first one is to gather. It's to assemble. There, as you've often heard me say over the years as your pastor... There is no plan B in Scripture. There is no plan B in the economy of God. We see this all through the Older Testament. They went to church, to synagogue, to temple every week. We see in the life of Jesus, he went to church, and he was not a dormant seat. He went to church every week. Scripture says, as was his custom, and he served in the church He served in a church that was chock full, way fuller of hypocrites than the modern church. Most of the New Testament is written to local churches. The majority, two-thirds of the New Testament, written to local churches with the goal of saying, how can we make these local churches be healthy, be planted, be productive? There is no plan B. Even with all our faults, there is no plan B in the economy of God. So if you listen to a podcast or a live stream, that's a really good thing to do. I encourage you to do this. And I understand that for health reasons, and particularly right now for health reasons, some people can't come to a local assembly. Or maybe you're away on holidays, or maybe you're uh, in, in business and you're traveling somewhere across Canada doing business. Live stream is a really good option in those kind of circumstances, but if possible, we gather. It's kind of like, think of it like a family relationship, the psalmist is saying. It's like a parent with your kids. You don't want your relationship with your kids growing up to be done and exercised strictly through Zoom or through voicemail. 
You want to be together as a family. There's incredible value in that. And so the scriptures call us to come together in numerous places. In Psalm 122, uh, David says, I rejoice when, he, when we said, let us go to the house of the Lord. The, uh, the scriptures call us to assemble. Ecclesia, especially the last part of the, word, of the word ecclesia, means to be as well literally the called out ones. And so we gather together with the goal to praise God together, to be unified, to be one in unity, to corporately hear God's word together, to worship together, to use our gifts with one another, to give so that people are strengthened, so that people are blessed. And then we launch out from that assembly to be the church in our environment. And when we're planted in the house of the Lord... And when we have this kind of mindset of, I'm not just going to go to church, I'm going to be the church, this runs, and it's difficult for us because it runs so contrary to the way we are conditioned in our society to think. When we're planted in the house of the Lord, we begin to flourish, and we begin to mature in Christ, and as we mature in Christ, we begin to realize clearly, this is not about spiritual consumerism which is what we're taught in our culture. When I'm a follower of Christ, I come together to exalt God. I come together to exist, to build his kingdom, and we exist for the world. Very different than what we typically experience when we leave the doors of a place like this. There's a massive difference between attending to check off a box and being plugged into a calling, to being living as a called out one, to live as part of a movement and a mission. This is why we talked about these three messages the last three weeks, because the stakes could not be higher. And our vision statement reflects this. Why are we here? We are here to know and to love and to serve in Jesus' name in the power of the Spirit, uh, demonstrating a radically different kind of love so that we can help all those around us come to know, love, and serve Christ. So we don't go to church to just kind of watch worship with little or no contribution or real serving. We go to a church not as a destination, but as an identity we embrace. This is what it means to be planted in the house of the Lord, as an identity that we embrace so that we can serve. And then when the storms of life come, we stay connected to God and to each other. Just like the cedars of Lebanon, this is why he uses this image, with the roots deeply intertwined, hundreds of feet or hundreds of meters, whatever, under the ground, intertwined together, the trees themselves at points growing together, mutually supporting each other, not bothered much by the heat of the Middle East or the droughts that they frequently get because their roots go so deep. And the image he's using here is he's saying we need each other. And when we face opposition, and if you know anything about Bible, when you're a follower of Christ, you will face opposition. You will face trials. 
You will face crazy people in your life. And if you don't have any, just give me a call. I'll lend you a couple of mine. That was a joke. Uh, We need the family of God. You need me, and I really need you. And then we serve together. And the text says, as we do this, we never stop producing fruit. When we're planted in the house of the Lord, we will produce fruit. And as you've often heard me say, it's going to look very different in each person's life. You're not going to produce the kind of fruit that God's called me to produce. Because more than likely, you're gifted differently than I am. And so I'm not going to gift, uh, produce the kind of fruit that you will typically produce. Because again, we're each uniquely gifted by God. Every one of us gifted, without exception, but uniquely gifted. And people will see Christ at work in us so that even when the difficult times come, which they will, when we're living in the empowerment of the fullness of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5, those nine elements of the fruit of the Spirit will increasingly be displayed in our life. The joy, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, even when the waters are rough. I appreciate that when I'm planted in the house of the Lord, that I'm not just saved from my sins. That is a shallow gospel. If that's the extent of your gospel understanding, that it's just about me being saved from my sins, that's not a holistic biblical gospel. Absolutely saved from my sins, but I'm also saved to live a life that glorifies God that lets him use me in very sacrificial ways to make a difference through me in the world. That's a holistic gospel. There's no idea of being a dormant seed in Bible. And so if we claim to follow Christ, I would suggest it's time. And can I just, can I just ask some real personal questions? I've asked these questions of me first. But I'm going to ask you some personal questions. Do you really think that we can navigate life with God in a way that is flourishing by just kind of haphazardly showing up to church when we feel like it? Yeah, just whenever the mood strikes me. Do I really think that if I spend more money on coffee in a week than giving to the Lord and to the work of the Lord and to people in need, that that really reflects the values of being a true disciple. Or if I spend more time on Instagram, and I'm on Instagram, but if I spend more time on Instagram in a day than I do in the next week to 10 days serving people, is that really reflective of being transformed into the image of Christ? I would argue it's time. I would argue people around us that are deeply hurting The number of people that are contemplating suicide now are at record levels, particularly young men. It's time to be planted. It's time to honor God. It's time to serve. It's time to flourish. And we do that, and we're fruitful. Now, how does, again, I'm a city boy. But how does a tree flourish and grow? My understanding is that there's five things 
that a tree needs. It needs good soil. It needs light. It needs water. It needs appropriate temperatures. And it needs time. So think with me about what some of those things might represent. Because he uses these images of the trees here to represent flourishing. Soil, and it's often sort of pictured this way in scripture, soil could be our heart. There's got to be good soil. There's got to be soil that's prepared to be used for the tree to grow. Light could well be God's word. It's often pictured as light in scripture. We can't expect to grow and to flourish apart from the roadmap. Jesus is pictured in John chapter 7 as the living water. He says, why don't you come to me and I'll give you water and you'll never be thirsty again. Jesus and the centrality of the cross is living water. Temperature might be the fire of the Holy Spirit. The normal Christian life, Watchman Nee says this, is lived in the power of the filling of the Spirit. We are never intended to live the Christian life in our own strength. We are intended to be surrendered and filled in an ongoing way. And then there's time. And then there's time. What's the old expression? The best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago, and the second best time is five minutes from now. Let me read to you once again verses 12 to 14. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green. Over time, the clear expectation for every follower of Christ is that we will bear a lot of fruit right through into old age. You know, some of, there's some pretty powerful characters in Scripture that were really doing some significant, significant things for God when they hit 80 years of age. And if you're older, you probably know those stories. Over time, you'll bear a lot of fruit right through into old age. Gordon MacDonald asks the question, what kind of old person do you want to be? And he urges each one of us to plan for it. What kind of old person do you want to be? I would suggest, and I know of a number of older people in this church whose lives would be well worth emulating. People who have walked faithfully with God decade after decade after decade, not perfect, but walked faithfully with God, who are truly planted in the house of the Lord who are still bearing fruit in old age and understand that they are expected by God to still bear fruit in old age. And it might be well worth your time if you're planning to get old well to sit down with them and say, what has kept you strong in your faith? I've been watching you and you seem to be strong in your faith. What has kept you strong? Because I'll tell you, it was not an accident. That kind of stuff is never an accident. It never just happens. Ask them, what are some of the lessons that you have learned on the long-term journey with Jesus? How have you learned to never stop learning, to never stop growing, to never stop giving sacrificially, to never stop serving? 
That kind of person, the text says, stays fresh and green, not old, selfish, and grumpy. The text says they will be fresh and green. The idea is that they're going to be full of sap. And I know you're all thinking, Scott is quite a sappy person. Full of sap, producing fruit. That actually sounds quite inviting. Including today, in the coming weeks, we're going to look at six different words. And what I'm really going to invite you to do is to focus on one of the six. Like I said, we're going to talk about things like honesty and integrity and gratitude and words like that. I'm going to invite you to focus on one of the six and to try and dive deep into that word in your life. Maybe to invite others that you trust to speak into your life surrounding that word. Say, I want to cultivate, I want to see God cultivate that word in my life. Words to live by.